several uh, passages of scripture around Romans 8. So 940 is about the page numbers that we'll be at. And I want us to begin in Romans 1, then we'll make uh, our way to Romans 3, and then we'll finally read uh, the one verse from our passage in Romans 8. Romans 8. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. Romans, 8, Romans 1, beginning with verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And finally, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may be seated Let's take a moment to reflect on God's Word. Some notes before we get started. Uh, first of all, this series requires you to lean forward. And you may be like, darn it. Uh, well, First Samuel, which we've been in for uh, most of the year, is a, a series that you don't have to lean quite quite as much forward because it's a story. So every, every chapter is a new story. You read the story, you immediately you're engaged in the story, you put yourself in the story. And so it's very much easier to preach and also to listen to, but Romans is not a story necessarily, especially Roman 8. Romans 8 is doctrine. And for doctrine, you have to lean forward. You have to be mentally prepared uh, because Romans 8 is like a head-on collision with theology. 
And so uh, just like uh, you're preparing for a hard landing in an airplane, which I hope you haven't been in, uh, but when you prepare, it's prepare for, for hard landing. You know, brace yourself. And that's what Romans is, Romans 8 is. It's, it's I'm telling you now, brace yourself. It, it's, a, it's a head-on, heavy collision, but it's a, it's a collision of God's grace. So it's one you want to have. It's not one you're trying to steer away from. But in talking about it, there's some... Some great challenges, and there particularly are here before us in this very first verse. Secondly, just uh, some, again, on the notes before you begin, some of you here may just be new to your faith. Maybe uh, you're new to the church. Maybe you're new to the Bible. You've felt like you've been a Christian, but just sort of recently you've, you've had an appetite for the Bible maybe in a new way. And I would say, what a great place to to be if you're in any of those places, to be in Romans 8. I, I don't know how many of you think about this, but I have a wife and she has a closet with has quite a few clothes in it. Not too many, but more than I have. And, uh, but she only wears, you know, a few of them, right? Uh, but she has a black dress in her closet. And my guess is almost every woman has a black dress in their closet. And she says, what every one woman says is, Everybody, every woman's got to have a black dress, right? Because it's something you're going to use over and over again. Oh, I'm going to this wedding. I'm going to this party. I'm going to this funeral. Whatever it is, there's all kinds of ways throughout the life of a woman's wardrobe needs that she's going to need a black dress. Romans 8 is the black dress for every Christian. Romans 8 is, this is the thing you've got to have in the closet. Because although you're not going to pull it out every day, you're going to be pulling it out over and over and over again. It's the thing, if you, if you just had this one chapter locked down in your mind and the concepts about it, you'd have the whole Bible locked down. So it's the one chapter we want to make sure we pay attention to. Just think about verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What, what a great verse. My best friend in high school, still one of my best friends today, calls me this week and his wife has cancer. You, you, many of you have had the same phone call, maybe about your own spouse. And so I thought I'd consider that our present sufferings and there's going to be suffering. It's not, it's not comparable. That's the Christian hope. I mean, yes, there's going to be suffering. You don't become a Christian, then there's no suffering. There's suffering, but there's, there's nothing this, this world can really compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Not just to us, it's going to be revealed in us. I know that in all things, God works together for good. For those who love him. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. You see how this is the black dress? So you're going to be using these phrases over and over and over again. Third note before we begin. If you're new to Christ's community, if you're new to, to searching for God, I would encourage you to stick with us through the summer. 
and just hear Romans 8. I mean, even if, if you say, hey, this isn't the church for me, I, I just couldn't encourage you, implore you more to, to stick with it because what you need to know about the Lord, what you need to know about what a church thinks about, what you need to know about yourself, it's found in Romans 8. And here is a great little, little passage here that we're going to spend maybe 10 weeks on that can orient yourself to the Lord and orient yourself to yourself and orient yourself to the world. So let's begin this morning by reading just this one verse, and then we'll go backwards to where we, we were. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. James Boyce, a former pastor, writes this in his commentary. This sentence is the theme of the chapter. Everything else flows out of this one sentence. The rest of the chapter basically is supporting this one opening line. And you notice here the word therefore. You know how you would think about this, right? When the word therefore is there, you ask what it's there for. Because it's like jumping into the middle of a conversation. He's coming to some kind of conclusion. It's like if you were at a party and you walked up to two people having a conversation and somebody in the conversation said, therefore, I needed to go to the hospital. Well, you would be like, why'd you need to go to the hospital? I mean, you missed the backstory. And and it's going to take you a while to piece it together. So we've got to go backwards before we go forward. So we will do that in a minute. But notice just what he says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation. In the Greek, it's a a legal term. Something you would use if you were before a judge. It's something you'd hear when the trial is over. This person has come forward and they've been declared guilty. They're condemned. A verdict has been reached. But Paul is saying there is now no condemnation. In other words, something happened. There was condemnation. Somebody came forward and presented a case and they were condemned. But Paul's explained something in the first seven chapters to say something's transpired. Something really great has transpired that now we've arrived at no condemnation. So we have to make a quick survey of these first few chapters, and then we'll get into Romans 8 as we go through the series. So let's turn back in chapter 1. You just follow along with me. It's not going to be too difficult. Chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul's going to, he's he's had sort of the opening remarks to his friends in the Roman church that he's on his way to, and he's written this letter in advance of his coming, and he's had sort of these greetings and information, and now he says, okay, I want to get to the main point of my letter. There is now no condemnation is the, is the middle part, but in the beginning, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, what is the gospel? We need to understand the gospel. First, he says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The first thing to really understand in order to grasp the gospel is that the wrath of God is coming from heaven. If if you and I don't understand that, the gospel is just going to be information. It's not going to be good news. 
the good news is the gospel, but, but before we get to that good news, the amazing grace that we sang about, you've got to understand you need grace because something's happened, and, and what's happened is the wrath of God is, is coming from heaven. There is a God. You are going to stand before God, and you're either going to be guilty or innocent. It's the only two choices. You're either going to be condemned or you're going to be set free. And so this wrath is coming, and I'm asking myself, well, what's this wrath coming? Why, why is this wrath coming? Well, he continues to say, ungodly and unrighteous men and men and women. This is why the wrath of God is coming. They've suppressed the truth about God. We knew what was true about God, at least to some degree, and we've suppressed it. And here, look, at, look with me carefully, verse 22. Here's a critical error. They claim to be wise. This is where, if you were reading electronically, I would love to put like a hyperlink. You know what a hyperlink is? You know, you're reading an article and it's, there's, it's italicized or it's in a different color and you press that and it takes you to another place to explain that term. And if there was a hyperlink from verse 22 that people were claiming to be wise, this happens over and over in the Bible. Where did it first happen, Christ Community Church? Genesis, everything happened in Genesis chapter 3, right? What happened? The, the woman looked at the tree and decided she was wise enough to figure out what to do. She, she was somehow able to understand the difference between good and evil. She's just a little child. And God is going to say, hey, one day you might have the capacity to take that fruit, but you don't have the capacity to hold on to that right now, so you've got to trust in me. And she says, no, I think I'm wise enough to take hold of it right now. Remember before 1 Samuel, Israel's in chaos, and which is why they need a leader, and Samuel comes in, and then we have, uh, the, we have the kings. The last chapter before we get to 1 Samuel, Judges chapter 21, everyone did what was right, what does it say? In their own eyes. Everyone was wise enough to decide what was best. Can you imagine living in a culture like that? Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You see, if you, if you could hyperlink verse 22 of Romans 1, you, you'd open up all these other places. And when you read that you're wise in your own eyes, what happens is you make a fatal exchange. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They decided to worship created things rather than the creature. And when you make that fatal exchange, when you make the, the critical mistake of thinking you're wise enough to understand, to just go by your word, and you make that fatal exchange, that's what the Bible calls sin. And from that exchange, all kinds of bad behaviors spin out from it. It's like if you have a cold, how do I know I have the virus? Well, I have all these symptoms that tell me. They're not the virus. They just display that I have the virus. And Paul, in a very, very difficult passage, gives you some of the, some of the uh, symptoms of the virus. 
verse 26, men and women exchanged unnatural relationships. Those that are contrary to nature. What happened is everything got reversed. When I became the, the, the mediator of what's true, then all of God's values get reversed. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... They were filled with all kinds of unrighteousness. And then he just lists several things. Evil, malice, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanders. People who are boastful. People who are disobedient. People who are faithless. People who are ruthless. This, this just shows what the symptoms are that you have the virus called sin. And the consequence of it, verse 32, though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. That's the verdict. It's heavy. Romans is a a theological head-on collision with yourself. And you get to verse 32 and you might want to say, it sounds like some people are in trouble. might say that it sounds like some people are trouble but at least I'm not that bad I mean I'm not like those things that they just read I'm I'm decent I'm moral of course I know people who fit this category but I just don't have to fit this category you might say that so Paul moves on chapter 2 verse 1 therefore you you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges. Hmm. So if you read the last few verses in chapter 1, and you sort of stand there and go, yeah, those people, they're bad. And they do deserve to die. Then Paul says, okay, let's just take a you, finger pointer. Let's take a look at you and see what you do. And Eugene Peterson has a great line about this, this verse. He says, to those who think you are high on high ground, where you can point your finger down at others. Think again. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection of your own crime. You know this. You get caught in something, what do you want to do? I want to point. I want to point somewhere else to get the spotlight off of me. And so people who are, think they're decent, people who think they're immoral, they say, yeah, those people, they're in the way of God's wrath. I'm just not the target. He goes on to say, which we don't have time to read. He says, whatever standard you construct for yourself, you can't even keep that on your own standard. Forget the Bible. Just think, how many resolutions did you make that you've kept? How many times have you said to yourself, I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to do that again. I promise to myself that from now on I'm going to. How many times have you done that? Thousands. And you mean well. But how many times have you not kept the promises that you've made to yourself? Thousands. And so he says, the people who are judging, you, you can't even live by your own standard. So you're not going to escape God's judgment. So now if you're reading or you're listening, you're starting to get uncomfortable. Because it seems like, like Paul's casting a pretty wide net of the people who are in trouble. And you might say, well, 
I, I understand those people that are in trouble. And I understand that people get are, are judgmental. I don't like that either. But at least I'm religious. And that's sort of like your escape hatch. I, I'm a religious person. Therefore, I'm going to get out of the way of God's wrath. Paul likes to go on. Verse 17, chapter 2. But if you call yourself a Jew or a religious person and you're boasting in God. And then he goes on and I want you to just notice how he turns his attention towards the religious people and how he uses sarcasm here. This is sarcasm in the Bible. You know his will. You, somehow you can approve of what is excellent because you've had instruction and you're sure that you are a guide to the blind. You're a light to those who are in the darkness. You're an instructor of the foolish. You're a teacher of children. You have the law emboldened of knowledge and truth. And, and then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Can you not see the pride in your own soul? Is what Paul is saying. See, even the religious people fail the test. If you just take the Ten Commandments... You realize you're not doing well. At this point, you might say, it sure sounds like everybody's in trouble. I mean, the wicked people are in trouble. The moral people are judgmental. They're in trouble. And now it sounds like you're saying the religious people are in trouble. Well, you don't need to take my word for it. Chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. You know what no one means in the Greek? No one. It, it doesn't, it's not a little asterisk and say, but Paul Phillips, who's going to live in Wilmington in 2019. No, it's no, no one. No one understands. No one seeks God. They've all turned aside. The wicked people, the moral people, the religious people. They've become worthless. No one avoids this wrath. Nobody avoids the condemnation. Chapter 3, verse 19 now we know that wherever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be accountable to God. In other words, no more excuses, people. This is a heavy start. But it's a, it's a critical first step on the path. You can't somehow, you take the exit ramp and get around this one and come to the next one. You got to stand on this first step before you can take the second step. No one does good and, and everybody needs to have their mouth shut. Think of a kindergarten teacher. All, all mouths shut. No more excuses. No more, well, I may not be perfect, but... But I tried hard, and that's got to count for something. But my grandmother, oh, she's the sweetest woman you'd ever met. But I've been in church all my life. See, no more buts. Every mouth has to stop. If you're really going to become a Christ follower, 
at some point, you have to shut your mouth and just say, I'm guilty. God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of breaking your law. I'm guilty of breaking the laws that I've set up for my own heart. I'm guilty. And, and you know this, don't you know? This is so hard. This is so hard for the human heart to do. And for many reasons, let me just give you two. First of all, it's hard for worldly people to admit that they are in standing in the way of condemnation because they don't like to see themselves in God's light. They don't, when, when you're worldly and following after the world, and I, I, can, I know this from my own life, you, you don't want to feel like you need conversion. I mean, I'm not bad enough to need conversion. I mean, I need some tweaks. But I don't need conversion. I mean, I'm not that bad. And so we chafe against that. And, and, and think about in our current culture, which is all about self-praise, everybody gets a trophy. So, so just suggesting this today in our world and probably in some minds in here, you're just chafing against it. And I'm sympathetic to that. I realize how hard it is because just suggesting that you're broken, just to suggesting that you're under condemnation by the way you behave, that you need to be fundamentally changed, that's a, an obnoxious idea to our culture. I was reading in this quote, a person said, the Christian doctrine of conversion is a direct assault on the reigning anthropology of the day. You know what anthropology is? Study of man. The, the Christian doctrine of conversion is assaulting the current way the culture thinks about mankind. This is the way he says, whatever is natural is not only good, but it's a moral entitlement and should be celebrated. You ever hear this? Oh, you hear this every day. If you're 30 and you never grew up in the church, this, this is the sea that you swim in. Whatever is natural, it's, 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 it's something you should celebrate. It's a good thing. It's the way you were born. It's the way you were made up. It's a, it's a natural thing. And not only should you do it, if I'm standing there, I should celebrate that you're doing that. That's our culture. That's the sea that you and I live in. But this isn't an argument the scripture agrees with at all. That's why swallowing this is so difficult. A second reason it's so hard is because even if you think you're in trouble, the go-to position is to blame shift. Remember Saul? Very simple, clear instructions. He doesn't follow in the instructions and Samuel comes and finds him. And what does Saul do? Well, you're to blame, Samuel. And the people are to blame and the Philistines are to blame. The only person not to blame for what Saul's done wrong is Saul. And that's, that's the way the human heart rolls. It wants to say, well, this is just natural for me. So it must be good. It must be celebrated. And if I find out of this bad, then it's really somebody else's fault. So I come back at some point, at some point, if you're going to follow after God, 
No more buts. No more being wise in your own eyes. You just, you just can't hold on to Christ and be wise in your own eyes. That's just, uh, it's a stretch you can't make. You have to say, I've been following my word and it's leading me to condemnation and I am desperate in need of help. And here's the sweetest news in the whole world. This is, this is why I woke up this morning ready to preach. Because I wasn't going to just say, let's, let's say an amen and go home. Chapter 3, verse 21. You don't get a butt, but God gets a butt. Now, I'm thinking if I'm a middle school boy, how am I going to process this? But you understand. <laughs> you don't get a butt, but God gets a butt. Look at verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, outside of yourself. And it's a righteousness that's been witnessed to from Genesis to Malachi. And this righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And notice, it's for all who believe. It's for anyone. And what does he say? Without distinction. So if you think you're the most wicked person in the world, you're welcome. If you think you're the most moral person in the world, you're welcome. If you think you're the most religious person in the world, you're welcome to Jesus Christ. God has made a way that everyone can fit through. No one is in some kind of condition they can't fit through into heaven. They can't, uh, they, that they can't avoid condemnation so this is the gospel this is the the best news I could say to you but you know you've had this experience you you may have had it in your past with yourself you came to church and some preacher stood up and you just yawned the whole time and you're like okay it's it's 1105 now let's kind of tie this up bud I know that because I did that many times. Or you're explaining the gospel to your friend and you, and you want to just say, but guess what, friend? God gets a but. And he says, but now I'm going to do something on your behalf. And they just yawn and think about, you like my hairdo? And you're like, come on. I'm giving you the greatest news in the world and you're worried about your hair or your sports team. Why, why isn't that sweet news? Well, it's not sweet if you don't think you're not, if you think you're not standing in harm's way. If you're in no danger and somebody run, run, runs in the room, danger, danger, you're not going to move. You don't feel like you're in any danger. Here's a great summer read for you. It's called The Johnstown Flood. David McCullough, a great writer. It's probably on Audible. It'd be a great thing to listen to. Very simple little story, tragic story. 1889, this little town in Johnstown, Pennsylvania gets flooded. Johnstown is located in Pennsylvania and 14 miles away through a valley is a great lake. 450 acres of water. That's a big lake. 
And it's held back from Johnstown through a narrow valley by an earthen dam. Not a man-made dam, just a, well, it was man-made, but it's not concrete. It's just an earthen dam. And in 1881, now this is eight years prior to the flood, people began to worry that they saw some crumbling happen with the dam. So some men from Johnstown went up and examined the dam, and they came back and made this statement to the paper. paper. Several of our citizens recently examined the dam, as it was in their opinion that it's perfectly safe to stand all the pressure that can be brought to bear on it. We do not consider there is any cause for alarm, Johnstown people, as even in the event of the dam breaking, there's plenty of room for the water to spread out. And if it it did eventually reach Johnstown, no damage would result. And at the most, two feet of water would come into our town. Not eight years later, May 31st, 1889, people in Johnstown wake up as cold rain. Johnstown's a low-lying area, so it begins to puddle up and water begins to put pressure on the dam rapidly. Around one o'clock in the afternoon, somebody from upstream telegraphed the folks in Johnstown, quote, South Fork Dam is liable to break. Notify the people of Johnstown to prepare for the worst. One o'clock. The agent on duty, his name is Frank Deckert, survived the flood, glanced at it. He said he didn't stop to read it. He said later, I knew it was in regard to uh, to the dam, but it didn't cause any alarm in my mind. There's no alarm in my mind that the wrath of God is coming very close to me. So I, I, I just go by it. And some of you might be here today. You're, you're hearing this alarm that I'm setting off, that Paul's setting off, and you're just going to walk by and I'm pleading with you not to. Two hours later, the perfectly safe South Fork Dam gave way. And here's how McCullough writes, Most of the people of Johnstown never saw the water coming. They only heard it. The height of the wall of water was at 36 feet high, not two. Ever get into a conversation and just say, I don't don't think God's really that angry. I think, you know, this idea of the wrath of God, maybe two feet high. No, it's not two feet high. Because of the speed that had been building as it plunged through the valley, the water struck Johnstown with terrifying force. The drowning and devastation of the city took 10 minutes. 2,200 lives lost. See, they're in the direct path of massive destruction. Later, uh, somebody writes how They had come and tried to warn the people, but they just didn't pay attention. According to the Bible, all of humanity is living in Johnstown. Whether you're wicked, moral, or religious. And one day, the dam's going to break and God's going to come back. And today... Today, you get to hear the good news that there's a way out. 
It's not by anything that you do. God himself is going to come. You notice in chapter 3, verse 25, it uses this word propitiation. It's a big theological word. It means that the wrath of God is coming down like a flood. And propitiation is somebody who stands underneath or in the way of that wrath to absorb it all. So that the person behind them is free. So Jesus comes, God in the flesh, to absorb his own wrath. And to turn to the people like you and me and say, just trust in me. Just get behind me. But if you want to get behind Jesus, you can't be wise in your own eyes. You can't do it halfway. Well, I like this, this part of the Jesus thing. This is the part of the Jesus thing. Yeah, I don't do. It's not how it works. Chapter 8 is really great news. And it starts off, there is now no condemnation. And it ends, there never will ever be any separation. It's the greatest chapter. But you're never going to hear it as great if you don't understand this piece. So maybe just I'm asking you today. You're going to stand. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day. Are you ready? What, What shield do you have up that can absorb the wrath of God? There's only one that can withstand it is Jesus and maybe you're one of the people here and even in your mind as I'm talking I've, I've got a competitor your mind and there's another little voice in there going yeah that guy he's not right about that oh, no he's not right about that oh I don't believe that it doesn't matter if you're wicked it doesn't matter if you're moral it doesn't matter if you're religious everybody needs Jesus And here's the telegraph. Get out of the way by coming to Jesus and trusting in him. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come here and we have a head-on collision. To really live, you say we have to die. We have to die to being the smartest person in the room, knowing everything, being right, being good enough, being wise in our own eyes, for constantly making excuses. We have to die to all these things and stand behind Jesus, who absorbs all of your wrath and gives amazing grace. So in this room, these 400 people have heard the gospel. Would you do something, I pray, Lord, that I can't do? Would you speak to a mind, to a heart, to a soul in a way that they can hear and trust in you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song. Thank you.